welcome to Estranged. We've had a little bit of a time break in between today's episode and our last episode. And of course, um, lots has happened since last time. <laughs> the world has changed, perhaps forever. Um, but we thought it was as good a time as any to record another podcast. And today we have a very special guest. We have uh, one of the coolest people I know <laughs> as a guest on the podcast <laughs> today. Uh, we have Victoria Lagrange, who is an academic at the University of Bloomington in Indiana. Um, she has kind of a crazy academic path, which includes French PhD, American PhD, done in parallel at the same time, right? It's still, still yeah, going on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, still going on. Mm -hmm. The French system is like crazy long. So you have your aggregation as well as like a million years of undergraduate postgraduate study right <laughs> yeah never ending mm -hmm. yeah um and also victoria used to be a professional singer which i think is very cool That's so cool. fellow musician to adrian yeah what kind so, of singing yeah exactly uh so i used to sing in a cabaret in paris okay, at Paradis nice. Latin. yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's awesome very cool very cool um so it was Victoria's suggestion that we talk about the latest Polanski film today, J'accuse, and I think in English the title is An Officer and a Spy. Was there a particular reason why you wanted to talk about this film, Victoria? Um, well, I think, for, first of all, let me say that I'm super happy <laughs> to be in the podcast today. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this film was because of the noise it created, like because of everything that was happening around it. Um, and I was curious enough to watch the movie. Um, and so I figured it would be, you know, quite an interesting discussion uh, to have. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, there's just so much going on with like uh, Corona that uh, now even like cancel culture seems like it's up in the air. Um, I mean, even like libs right now are just like whatever, everything that's happening with like Joe Biden and the accusations, it's just like nobody's talking about it. Nobody really cares. So it, maybe it's like the perfect time to talk about these things in a way that is a little bit more um, not so biased, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know it's, it is kind of strange how how much has changed in so little time. Obviously, I mean, it's this absolutely insane situation has happened, but how... I mean, I think that the funny thing is, is both Adrian and I found it virtually impossible to find the film outside oh, yeah? of France. Yeah, it just has not been. I don't think it's had any distribution at all in the UK. And I don't know whether that's just because it was to be released and then this Corona situation happened or whether it was thought to be too contentious a film um, to be released in the UK. But usually those kinds of things aren't really issues. You know, people just. Yeah. Watch mm -hmm. the film. Um but yeah, it did certainly cause a bit of controversy in in um, in France, and I guess it's interesting given like the subject matter of the film. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think and I think that's also one of the reasons why I thought you know that was so interesting. Um, so basically, I remember having a conversation with some friends um, a few months ago, and um, and we were talking about you know the news in general, and they were telling me that coronavirus was all that was on TV. And they were like that and Polanski, which <laughs> which I thought was interesting. And so I started watching, um, you know, many of the videos that were posted from the Caesar 
mm-hmm. you know, the ceremony. And, um, and it was extremely strange. So basically, uh, what happened during the Caesar, uh, for those of you who haven't watched it, was uh, Florence Foresti uh, was the presenter. And um, because Jacques was one of the nominees, uh, Florence Foresti introduced the movie in a very strange way in the sense that she didn't want to pronounce Polanski's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when it received the award for best movie, uh, mm-hmm. Adele Heinen, uh, who's an actress in France, uh, you know, got up uh, and just left. Yeah. So... Yeah, I'm not sure, you know, I mean, I'm not sure why it hasn't been that much more uh, distributed aside than from France. But yeah, I know in France it was a huge controversial topic. And and at the same time, it, you know, it had like, I think the third best uh, entries, like the third most entries since mm-hmm. uh, since the beginning of yeah the year or so. Yeah, it was very, very successful in France. I mean, yeah, the, the number of people who saw it. And what did it have, like, 14 nominations? The Caesars are, like, the, the French equivalent of the Oscars, right? Mm-hmm. So it had, like, what, 14 nominations or something like that. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. very well uh, considered by... Even, yeah. Even his last movie, I don't know if you guys saw it, but it's been, like, impossible for me to find the based on a true story. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah? It really has. Yeah, yeah. Very difficult to see. And I know that that film wasn't quite as um, well received. And I think it like was shown at Cannes and there, or it was like re-edited or, you know, it wasn't really seen as like a great work. But yeah, I don't know. The last Polanski film that was readily accessible, I mean, like Venus and Furs was. Yeah. Carnage is very mm-hmm. readily viewable. The Ghost is. What, what, what was in between? Was there anything between Venus and Furs and uh, Based on a True Story? No, I think, it, was, was, I think that was. I think that was it. it. Yeah. 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 So, um, and it, it is interesting to me that, like, um, I, in general, I have the impression that French audiences aren't as, I don't know what the word is, not provoked, but like as moved by controversial questions. As in, you know, there might just be the consideration of just like watching the film for the sake of the film. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that those questions have sort of been, um, have you know, touched people. And as you say, the actress, I think she was in a portrait of a young lady on fire, stood up mm-hmm. and walked out. Yeah. And that's yeah. something that potentially I might have considered to be more unusual um, in France. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was something completely unusual. And, you know, I think, I mean, I do think it's like the feminist movement is a good thing, etc. But it's like, it's something that wasn't... Uh, as prevalent the years before. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest, when I was, I think, 15 or something like that, so a while ago still, but, you know, uh, when I was 15, I bought a Polanski, um, like, DVD thing, like a DVD uh, collection mm-hmm. uh, by Polanski, which I don't think they probably edit now anymore because of, you know, everything that's happening. Um, but I think it, yeah, I mean, it just, it's just a repercussion of the Me Too movement that, you know, that started in the US and, uh, and took on to France. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. I was in France for the last few months and there was a lady, you know, in France they have these like evening chat shows where people like sit around, they have these like stools 
around in a circle. It's just funny mm-hmm. the way that like French TV shows are filmed. I find it funny. It's like everybody's at this like bar, and there's like a bar in a triangle. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, and they have like people having a discussion. And there was one woman that was being interviewed quite a lot. I believe she's a filmmaker, but she'd written a book about um, sort of a left wing argument against. Um, uh, offence and identity politics and things like that. And I thought it was interesting that she was sort of a mainstream um, person who was who'd been brought onto television, and that's something that potentially, yeah, in in the UK might not happen as much. But um, yeah, so do, what do you do? You have any sort of opinions about this idea of like the art separated from the artist? Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, to me, it's very tricky. Um, because, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to me, it's a very complicated question. Many people say it's not even a question, you know, like, um, I do believe that, uh, I mean, I've read Céline, you know, to do a literary comparison. I've read Céline, uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's still taught at school, people still, so... And he's a great writer. Um, what I mean by that is that I don't believe that by watching a movie, you're encouraging pedophilia. Mm-hmm. Um, although, although I understand, I mean, I understand the thing that happened around it, right? Like mm-hmm. there was uh, Apparently, I think some actress, I cannot remember her name exactly, published something about being raped by Polanski when she was a child. And that was just before uh, Jacques was released. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, obviously that's something that's very much condemnable. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I don't think you should, um, that should prevent you from watching something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And also it's it's not a virtue to not watch the, the film or mm-hmm. any type of film that is connected to an artist that maybe is like in polemic in some way. It kind of reminds me of uh, Lacan's whole thing about uh, the, the jealous husband. Mm-hmm. And it might be true, you know, that his wife is like sleeping around, but it sort of signals or it betrays the fact that he needs um, uh, the jealousy. Mm-hmm. And at, it, it's also this thing of like the hysteric tells the truth in the guise of a lie, uh, but an, an obsessional neurotic is like claims something that is literally true, but it's a truth that serves a lie. So it seems to me like there's a misconception of like what a virtue is in these days um and not to mention also the fact that a lot of people i think feel that all art needs to be virtuous and that it needs to be sort of like uh uh, purified before Mm -hmm. anybody can watch it and that's i think uh inherently anti-artistic yeah i would agree with you i know it's it's it is what because i think you know we we, we've all had conversations about this about um self-censorship uh, and what is deemed to be a clean position in in the public eye, but mm-hmm. art really should be, one would hope, something in which one expresses. You know, art art is by definition that that which is not constrained and that which like explores ideas in a in a less formalistic way. So if art is tied to, um, yeah, it's sort of it's not even propaganda. It's something it's something different to sort of like mm-hmm. virtuous art. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. Um, yeah, and especially, but, I mean, um, you know, 
I think uh, I think one of the things that caused the most issues with Jacques was the mm-hmm. fact that the movie, you know, is based obviously on this article by Emile Zola, uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, which was a way. I mean, the article in the first place was a way to denounce like a false accusation. So I think that's what one of the reasons why the film was so polemic was because they felt that, I mean, apparently it was written in the, in the press file um, that Polanski, by directing this movie, um, was, you know, targeting some kind of false accusations made against him. What mm-hmm. Polanski claimed was that those things were related to anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. But I think some people took it as, you know, he doesn't, yeah, he, he just doesn't believe that the accusation or the, that the allegations that are made against him are true, which is, I believe, yeah. why, why most people, yeah, rebelled against it. I don't know. So, so he was sort of putting himself in the position of Dreyfus. Yeah. It was, yeah. And is that, so is that something that was just sort of um, discussed or is that something that he sort of actually said? So I think he said it in the press file, from what I hear. Yeah. I mean, from yeah. what I've read. Um, he said it in the press file. But once again, he was more talking about the anti-Semitism that he has known, you know, coming from Poland. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but I guess some people took it for something else. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. interesting. I know that's, an, that's another topic that's quite an interesting one in terms of um, how it's been difficult to parse out um, legitimate critique of a position. And suddenly this, this has happened um, a lot on the left and anti-Semitism. You know, it's always, it's always very difficult to, to understand what is, yeah, what is that and what is just a, a criticism of somebody who, or not or things that happen to be associated with certain groups. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting as well that, you know, obviously this, 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 the story about which this film, you know, um, is concerned is from before 1900. And yet, obviously, it is something that really speaks to today. And it's interesting, you know, in terms of not the film itself, but the actual events, how uh, the likes of Emil Zola and other, like, well-known, popular artists and literary figures use their platforms to sort of to, for what they feel was like the right thing to do mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting how you know that's become something as well as sort of politicization of artists and oh artists, absolutely quote, unquote, using their platforms yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i think i think polanski by directing this movie wanted to make a political a political statement like mm-hmm. um and i think i mean from from what I saw in the reception of the movie, like that's one of the reasons why people enjoyed the movie or thought it was important. It's because it really depicts that one moment that was extremely important in the history of France. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like the rise of anti-Semitism or like the inst- institutionalization of anti-Semitism in France. Um, mm-hmm. before Second World War and, you know, um, so. Yeah, it is kind of crazy to think like that it's such an important moment in French history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, that it's in the hands of Polanski who, yeah, has become this very, very contentious figure. It's also interesting how, you know, just to touch back on this this idea that like, it's not like it's come out of nowhere that there's so much um, sort of uh, 
controversy surrounding him and these mm-hmm. accusations date back for like decades and decades and decades. But do you, um, what do you put that down to that sort of why a Polanski movie is now more contentious than it was say 10 years ago? Well, I really do think it's because of the rise of the, you know, Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. And like the, yeah, the the speech that has been kind of liberated uh, on those questions too, you know, with Harvey Weinstein, etc. Like yeah. that's, yeah. I feel, that, I feel that it has become much more polemical now mm-hmm. than it ever was just because of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should talk a little bit more about these, like this notion of purity, um, purity in art, purity in politics. And I don't know, I do get sort of nervous with the what's been happening um, with, you know, obviously the viral situation. What... <laughs> um, uh yeah how that's going to affect things is it going to make things less uh i don't know obviously there's this idea of like cleanliness you know we're in this Mm -hmm. period where everybody has to wash their hands and sort of cleanliness has become this like real issue and i don't know whether transporting this kind of like paranoia about cleanliness and having the right ideas and being sort of pure we're transferring this to this kind of like washing our hands material reality so maybe (laughs) i don't know it'll die down on the thought front um but yeah, one does worry as well, you know, the more things take place online, the more potential there is for, for sort of control. Um, yeah. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Adrian. Well, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but um, right before the corona, uh, I felt like just the sort of political or even social sphere was just infested by just a, a, a waterfall of, of uh, news and me, it just ev- everything was like up and out in the open and um, bad news following other bad news and just like this endless chain. But it seems to me that coronavirus has really taken over sort of like the political sphere to the mm-hmm. point that now I'm even thinking that the measures that are being taken in order to fight this whole thing have become politicized themselves and it's going to change the political sphere and it's going to have like economic oh, yeah. consequences mm-hmm. and all these things. Uh, but it seems to me that things are sort of like static and like uh, news in general have sort of like lost their momentum. And the other thing that really worries me is that I think I heard uh, Anna Katyan talk about this and she was saying that sometimes like uh, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder or just like being a germaphobe is sometimes a psychological proxy to uh to to just stand in for like distrust of the other Mm -hmm. and it seems to me that maybe after this it's not going to get people to come closer together maybe that's a little pessimistic but i think that i don't know there's if there's like a biological or just like yeah like an organic reason not to want to be close to people this might become it might become political it might have political consequences that would be difficult to get away from because it becomes sort of like the norm Uh, but it's uh, there's so much more behind the germ you know it's just like it's the other in general yeah i think that is something that is really sort of we were talking a bit earlier about you know i think i I was saying to, to victoria earlier on you hear anecdotes about how the coronavirus is not like a um and any other kind of new disease it's sort of like a new flu that might be here every year and it's sort of the new normal and mutate every year like the flu and yeah it's, yeah. it's a sort of another another way to um to instantiate um individualism 
yeah. that obviously is sort of like a pinnacle of of capital. But I actually had like an like a, an interesting thought about that because a friend of mine had said, oh, you know that this is the this is just the zenith of what capitalism wants us to do, wants us to be so singular and so separate. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is, I don't know how you guys have felt about this. The obviously the immediate situation meant that capitalism couldn't really function. So even though, you know, as uh, Victoria was saying to me earlier, you know, your job has continued and you have just as much work as ever because you're, you're teaching. Mm-hmm. So, so, but a lot of the economy, you know, has not, has not continued like it usually does. And so sort of we've been relieved of a frenetic pursuit and a frenetic need to earn and to be in places and to attend things and to be seen to be doing things. And that, that actually, even though you're not physically close to somebody, that elimination of that capitalistic mode means you feel closer to the other. And I have to say, in the last three weeks, I haven't spoken to so many friends, you know, or like actually had proper conversations with people and actually seen people in a way, though I'm not physically there. So I guess the point being that, yeah, like capitalism does end in the complete elimination of proximity from the other and the complete like individualization and granularization of society. But as this process has happened, the first few weeks where capitalism couldn't really function properly, that distance, that physical distance was there, but sort of a spiritual distance was sort of eliminated yeah. because we didn't have the need to so, you know, so competitively, so fren- frenetically accumulate just for but a couple that, of weeks. Yeah. And then I think it's interesting because I don't necessarily think it's, you know, the rise of individualism. Like I see it in a very different way. Um, mm-hmm. So as you mentioned, I'm in Bloomington, I'm in the Midwest. So people are known to be nice in the Midwest, but... Um, but whenever I see somebody, you know, walking in the park, um, people stand very far away from each other, but everybody mm-hmm. starts engaging in conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Which they don't usually do. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I keep receiving news from friends. Now that everybody, you know, as you mentioned, like, because the fast pace of life has kind of slowed down uh, because mm-hmm. of the whole lockdown, etc. Um, I keep receiving news from friends, like, uh much more than I used to people want to video mm-hmm. chat like people yeah so mm-hmm. and I feel there are a lot of initiatives um so I know in the in the town that I'm in like a lot of initiatives have been taken for people to you know help others yeah. in need etc so I felt there is more this idea of like communion around this problem you know obviously yeah, physically we're all distant but yeah there is this yeah. social communion that wasn't necessarily there before because everything was revolving around work and around yeah. making the big machine work, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's kind of, yeah, they're alone together. The other thing that is kind of quite scary about the capitalist mode of production is that within two weeks, it's a complete economic disaster that, you know, the wheel isn't perpetually turning. And Capitalism requires a constant new border and a constant expansion for it to even work. You know, it is the system that doesn't have any reserves. It doesn't distribute well. You know, it requires waste. It requires for houses to have value. It requires loads of houses to be empty. You know, it has to be perpetually growing and growing and growing. And the thing that makes it all fall apart isn't, you know, erosion of that. It's just not perpetual expansion. So it's just kind of frightening that two weeks and then it's like, whoa, we're heading to the biggest recession ever just because they're, you know, within a couple of weeks we have we have stopped perpetual expansion. But obviously there comes a point where like, how can you keep expanding? Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe this is a, 
this is a a crisis point that can become something positive or different but yeah no it's always worrying like always expect the spanish inquisition as they say like yeah. how shit can it get no but yeah i mean at the same time as you you know as you mentioned um as you mentioned previously like they're also realizing i mean hopefully people are also realizing what jobs are actually essential uh mm-hmm. for the for the society to work and it's the job that are kept right now you know mm-hmm. uh I don't mean that other jobs, you know, don't mean anything and are pointless, but like, basically, we're, I mean, I think the core of the problem is that for years, um, the jobs that had been considered essential uh, were not (laughs) the job that were essential. And so Mm -hmm. um, less and less money has been given to the jobs that were actually very important to maintain the society. Uh, and the cohesions of society, and so, and so, I think now we're at a point where people probably realize that you know, maybe maybe hospitals are important, or maybe teachers are important, or you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's interesting as well, you know, um, to pivot back to sort of the film. Like, I don't know how you know artistically you've been feeling Adrian but there was a sort of like a, a period where I was kind of like this is um I really feel like I should be doing something more physical with my hands or something you know like actually contributing yeah. <laughs> I actually started um psychoanalysis in, in January and my house was like no don't feel guilty about it because actually you know more than ever <laughs> like society needs art mm-hmm. and yeah. I guess this is the thing as well about you know this purification and the liberalization of art and you know the flip side of this term liberal which means sort of has the sort of like freedom word to it is that it, you know ideas are policed because everybody's a free agent to have the right idea or a bad idea so you know a film isn't just a film it is a film that either has a good idea or a bad idea so we can kind of police art as well and I guess yeah. it's you know it's, it's time that we really really need to not do that mm-hmm. yeah. you know just have actual free expression and use it as like a, a proving ground to sort of experiment and to think about things that are new I th- but it's difficult because one of the things that I've been wanting to do is just get together with friends and play. But that's literally mm-hmm. impossible because like, well, you know, uh, I'm about to have a, a kid. And then uh, there's another guy that has like a couple of kids. So that becomes sort of like, oh, I don't want to I don't want to become responsible if anything happens, you know. So it's mm-hmm. like, how how can we play as like as a band? But, you know, everybody's sort of like in their houses. So maybe it's like maybe this new possibility arises where maybe it's technological, but there's new ways to interact with each other. Um, it seems to me that what is really at stake is like public spaces. And mm-hmm. it seems like everything's sort of becoming privatized. And, and I mean, I wouldn't be so sure about the whole capitalist thing, because if something is pretty clear to me is that capitalism finds a way to adapt itself. And even if it's Mm. going to live uh, through like a sort of like interstice or like a, like a crack, it will do it and it will monopolize it and it will become privatized. And it seems to me like maybe like, I don't know if you guys have seen all these people, all these companies like Disney plus or whatever are just like pulling movies from like the theaters and are like directly Mm -hmm. putting it into, so you can watch it like privately in your home. Uh, it's and it's crazy. Like I had to rent a movie the other day that I had to see uh, for twenty dollars, right? And, so expensive, uh, I know. It's mm-hmm. so expensive. Just to rent it for like two days, and yeah, I mean, I, I think just capitalism is going to thrive like even more through like the private sphere. Mm-hmm. 
And also, yeah, obviously the internet, yeah, this is a whole new problem of who owns the internet and what is commons and everything. Yeah, yeah. it's it's kind of tricky. I was just, just to pivot back to Polanski, it's interesting you were saying like finding a way to create, you know, to be in a band, whatever. Obviously Polanski sort of found a way to make Hollywood movies without being in Hollywood. Yeah. Like, the Ghost <laughs> is such a great yeah. film and it's all filmed in Germany, I think. It's like supposed to be Martha's Vineyard and it's, it's not mm-hmm. that. Um, I actually was just thinking of something I was going to say about Polanski and the contemporary condition. Oh, yeah. So this was something Victoria and I were just talking about before pressing record, this idea of, um, you know, what is a right idea and what is allowed to be, what is considered right at at a given time? And, yeah, this idea of, um, I guess it's the same with Woody Allen, sort of like (laughs) producing your work for for so long and suddenly something becomes unacceptable mm-hmm. in a way obviously things are unacceptable you know there's certain things that are obviously unacceptable at any time but they become you know charged with something else and it is it is sort of frightening to think that at some stage something that one might have said on the internet and everything is recorded on the internet is suddenly unacceptable um and there is a sort of um perpetual nature to everything when it is online and if we're all moving online you know there's there's a um, a different sort of um, subjectivity, a different like phenomenological experience there because it's not it's not for the now, it's for the ever. Does that make sense? Yeah, so but at the same like, time, um, I think I think with what's happening, we're also going to see a growth of content online. So you can also mm-hmm. hope that the things that you said that were unacceptable get lost in the middle yeah, of it. Yeah, one hopes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite Polanski film, Victoria, aside from Jacques? Um, yeah, <laughs> actually, my absolute favorite from Polanski's Repulsion. Uh, Repulsion. Okay. No, yeah, it's so good. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Uh, I watched it. I really like uh, Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, Rosemary's Baby's, okay. yeah, is amazing. But yeah, Repulsion yeah. to me, it has really like stuck with me. You know, the whole mm-hmm. thing with the rabbit in the bag and, and yeah it was uh mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah no, i have to say one of my favorite Polanski movies is bitter moon and it's sort of like his most b movie of all movies but i mm-hmm. love it it's so um i guess it's about like uh jealousy and uh british repression and uh wanting what you can't have and also being miserable with what you have and sort of like sex and relationships and yeah it's 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 really great (laughs) Mm -hmm. victoria i was telling uh helen a couple months ago that i saw i don't know if you've seen this one the ninth gate Mm -hmm. the ninth gate and i was telling her it's like sometimes there's like movies sometimes work and they don't work for very specific reasons but i just thought that the ninth gate is just like everything is terrible like the acting is not it's not great uh the screenplay is like fine but the direction is like just like perfect uh, mm-hmm. and i don't know i just thought that this was like a particular like type of movie that is just like everything kind of sucks but the director's like pulling his own weight um, yeah yeah that's a pretty interesting movie as well yeah i, I mean i gonna, worked on I, gonna... I worked on b movies for a while so i won't i won't say anything bad about b movies i think that they're all good aesthetics yeah i was in i could Academically, yeah, I worked on yeah, yeah. Um, on Roger Corman okay. uh, and his adaptations of Edgar Allan Poe's tales. 
Okay. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I mean, I, I love B movies like I because mm-hmm. uh, I, I do like scoring and I basically only do B movies and I love mm-hmm. uh, a, a lot of them. Um, I was going to ask you, do you think that what is happening right now in 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 film, for example, um, does it is. Okay, so going through like a Hegelian way of thinking is like there's a necessity for like a limitation in order for something to really go on uh, in, in a way that is new. Uh, so right now, for example, there's like this this stop in capital in, in, in especially like the public sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you think that art is at the foot of a great possibility in which precisely because everybody's sort of quarantined, precisely because there's a distance, there can be like a desire or a yearning, as you were saying, for for a community with other people. And do you think that that might affect art? If there's a new way that we can uh, make films or make music uh, that incorporates this sort of limit and create something like that is radically new artistically? Honestly, I really think so. I think that art is one of the things that people resort to uh, when they're on lockdown, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm really interested to see what will come out of it because, um, I mean, (laughs) I I don't know if you have both seen uh, Tiger King, you know, which is number one right now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I thought it was interesting because it's a documentary, so it's not... You know, it's not a movie, but it it's pretty much like it could be fictional. It's completely mm-hmm. insane. Uh, and I really wonder, yeah, I for instance, for that uh, series of documentary, I really do believe that the only reason why it's so popular is because everybody's on lockdown right now. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting, but it's not that great. And so I feel that people really resort to art to to cinema to series possibly to video games too i wonder i wonder if they will go towards something that is more interactive which you know the internet gives us the possibility to do so um but it's yeah it's hard to imagine like hopefully this is not a permanent situation but if it is a permanent situation which i you know really hope not um then people will have to find new ways to create art because there is a huge demand. Like people want new things all the time, and I don't see I don't see the movie industry stopping here, mm-hmm. like not yeah. at all. Yeah, no. It's, it's interesting that like Tiger King obviously had a lot of similarities with uh, "Don't Fuck with Cats," and obviously not just because one were small cats and one were one was about big cats and they were both mm-hmm. about animal abuse and sort of really really crazy people. But yeah, it became serious. Uh, that was a uh, Don't Fuck With Cats was sort of a binge session over Christmas and New Year when you were at home. And this is another thing, mm-hmm. at home. And they're just, they just very, so it's just a small at-home period of a couple of weeks at Christmas and then bam, this massive at-home period with Tiger King. Yeah. But I just thought it was just so weird that there were so many common themes with these yeah. two. With these two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Victoria, do you right now you mentioned uh, video games. I just want to ask you this quick, like kind of controversial uh, thing. Do you think that uh, video games are art? Because there's a lot of people that say that it is, and that it's not. Like art is supposed to be like this, you know, conventionally like a thing that is already finished, and you can just look at it. And but you don't change it yourself. Like you don't get involved with it, uh, other than just like as a spectator. But video games are different because they're like 
you make your own choice, especially with a lot of video games now that have like multiple endings. It's like mm-hmm. you get your hands into the art form or not and uh, and make it what you will. Yeah, I mean, I really do think art has become interactive, uh, to be honest, even like, I mean, even just taking the example of... Uh, of Jacuzzi and how the reception uh, had implication on, you know, even the distribution yeah. of the movie. Um, so I really do believe, you know, the the whole idea of transmedia by Jenkins, etc., is like really, really prevalent in the way um, art is produced right now. And I do believe, uh, <laughs> I do believe that video game can be a form of art. I mean, at least yeah. a form of storytelling. Um, and the fact that it's interactive yeah. makes it... Like in most cases, um, when you have, I mean, I'm thinking specifically about um, a series of video games by the French studio Quantic Dreams. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Heavy Rain, yeah. Heavy Rain, Beyond Two Souls, etc. I think, uh, especially with Beyond Two Souls, they are like really hybrid media. They're really mm-hmm. media that are in between cinema and interactive fiction. And so, so yeah, I, I mean... My sense is that we're going towards something that is increasingly interactive and something that is um, that is also increasingly hybrid. Like I really yeah. don't, yeah. And that one um, might also be as. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna. I, I don't know if you were gonna because I was gonna like say something slightly tangential. So I don't know if you were gonna say something joining that. So you might as well say it first. <laughs> no, I was. Just, I was just gonna say that this might be sort of like the. The alternative to this whole thing that we're talking about, like Polanski and like virtue uh, in art. Um, I think it's interesting that, okay, so I've, I've heard a few uh, interviews with like developers or just people that play games in general and have like uh, podcasts or whatever. And one one of the guys was talking about like, I think it was like Red Dead Redemption, which is like a Western. And mm-hmm. um, they were feeling uncomfortable because they had to like shoot people in the game. Or and and you can choose if you're gonna be like a good cowboy or a bad cowboy or whatever. Um, but it, it might also be this way where just like okay, if you're like attracted to things being sort of like um, I don't know, like like virtuous and, and, and sterile in in that way, or just like very moral, um, mm-hmm. you can just stick to that and and like you choose what you do in the in in the game or whatever. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like prepackaged for you in a way that might be like offensive to you or whatever. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I actually have um, something to say about this idea of interactivity and choice. Um, Todd McGowan is working a lot on the this idea of the Canadian idea of the gaze, and his um, idea is that weirdly, even though obviously people kind of one sort of assumes that things like theatre and literature are higher art forms than film because. There's a there's a great you know like the Bartesian idea of like the readerly text and the writerly text like they're more writerly you have to like actively engage as a mm-hmm. viewer you you have to project your own imagination but his point is that like film is actually the medium I'm not saying this just because I'm filming it but it's the medium that is actually the most political because it is so all-consuming and the viewer does not have to make any choices all the work has already been done there in this pure sort of oniric uh, sphere of having it kind of fed to them. And that um, experience allows you to encounter this idea of the gaze, the kind of the impotence, um, the impotence of of one's sort of desire and one's sort of view, 
And I guess there's an idea in that, like, if you have this idea of agency presented to you in like a game, then it is pure escape because it's not political in that, like, political in the sense of like um, presenting the viewer or the or the participant with the yeah their, their own powerlessness and how one has to live in community and basically kind of how capitalism uh, relies on this idea that we are in charge of our own lives and that we can achieve something that we can kind of perpetually move forward. And so the idea of like a video game and this idea of choice or sort of fake choice is pure escape because it keeps keeps the participant in this idea of you have agency in your own existence. But I guess yeah. maybe, you know, a counter to that is like VR. VR could be the interactive game that is more political than just playing video, video games because it really kind of you, it gets you into this experience of totality. Yeah, it's like less mediated. Less mediated, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. It's just pure experience. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the same time, know. at the same time, I really do think it is still very political in the sense that, I mean, the choices that the player or you know the viewer has to make um, mm-hmm. are fake choices. They've been yeah, pretty fine, yeah. you know. Uh, they've been pretty fine. The the person mm-hmm. who created the story knows how it's gonna end. Maybe we'll. Yeah you know, give several endings, but they're still created mm-hmm. by the author. So there is still like, yeah. yeah. But I guess it's just the idea of like, yeah, the fake choice gives the illusion of choice. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what capitalism does. It's sort of, yeah, yeah it's, it's the illusion of agency. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. No, but I also, I, I think yeah. also with that, I think comes the illusion of what you think you would do in real life. <laughs> yeah. Where, whereas maybe like in real life, it's like you would not make that choice at all. And maybe you would self-sabotage or maybe you would be hurtful to other people or whatever. But it's like mm-hmm. it's almost like a medium in which you can be a hero because the cho- the choices that you make have no consequences other than just like maybe a small emotional rush or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, Victoria, because this is, I guess, part of your area of expertise, is this idea of like adaptation. Mm-hmm. And do you have anything, any insights about how Polanski adapted? Well, this was um, obviously a true event. And then I believe it was like a, is it Robert Harris, the name of the author? He often like uses Robert Harris texts, like the ghost mm-hmm. he had written. Do you have any kind of insight about this notion of adaptation? So with Jacques um so I think he he did an adaptation that was very close to the actual story. Mm-hmm. Uh but once again I do think that making Jacques as an adaptation, like choosing this subject as an adaptation, is uh is already very a very political choice. First the title of the movie. Um he has not adapted the letter, you know. He chose to call it Jacques, but he has really adapted Affaire Dreyfus, like, mm-hmm. you know, this specific case. Um, and second, I mean, I think, uh, but I'm not 100% sure about that, I think that the only adaptation of the Affaire Dreyfus that had been made before was one by Méliès. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. That, yeah, that came only three years after um, yeah. the end of the affair. And, yeah. um, and it was a political gesture. I mean, it was Méliès showing his support to Dreyfus. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in that sense, like, I I do feel like, um, I do feel like Polanski shot it as some kind of, um, 
historical document, you know, you could almost say, mm -hmm. uh, historical fiction or something like that. But he he also made a political chasement, uh, uh, statement by choosing to adapt this, you know, historical moment. It's interesting because I think his previous uh, two films, or no, previous film and previous to previous film before that, so like mm -hmm. three before this, were about sort of interpretation. So The Ghost is about a story where everything is unclear and it's about um, an actor, uh, Ewan McGregor, who's uh, a speechwriter sort of for a fictionalised version of Tony Blair. You know, so it, it's all about sort of like a real character, this guy, Adam Lang, who is obviously sort of a version of Tony Blair and uncovering sort of secrets and trying to get at the truth and the way that the film is um, it's, it's short in a sort of a noir-esque sense we don't know what's happening we don't know whether there's a case here whether this character Adam Lang has committed war crimes or not we don't even know if um, the Ewan McGregor character is being paranoid and if he's murdered at the end or if he dies in an accident it's pretty obvious that he is murdered but it, you know there's sort of an interpretative um, nature to that and then this latest film that prior to Jacques that I didn't see which is based on a true story. So it's about an adaptation, right? I don't know if you've mm -hmm. seen it. Yeah. So it's interesting it. that's... Isn't it a, yeah. It's a play, right? So that Venus and Furs is a play, but then I did a play about a book. Oh, yeah, that's another adaptation. It's a play mm -hmm. about a book. And then... Yeah. You also the, the film Carnage is a play turned into a one-scene film. But yeah, no, it's interesting that he does have this kind of like interesting relationship with adaptation and reality rosemary's baby too yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. interesting yeah so what else did you what else did you think did you want to talk about something specific in in the movie Victoria? um i mean not not necessarily i mostly wanted to talk about you know the reception of the movie uh but if there is anything that you know caught your attention i'd be happy to comment on it Well, I was I was kind of interested in the uh, at the very beginning of, of the movie uh, when Dreyfus is uh, being led into this like uh, plaza center or whatever, mm -hmm. um, and they take away his his all all the medals that he has or like embellishments mm -hmm. that make him sort of like a ranking officer or something, um, but they take away his sword and then the guy just breaks it in half with his leg. <laughs> Are all swords like that, or is that meant to be like symbolic of like? The, the symbols that a soldier or an officer has. Yeah, I don't know, honestly. <laughs> But I remember thinking <laughs> it was it was a bit strange. I mean, to be honest, the first scene, um, and I feel especially for a French audience, was very surprising because um, because you also have, I mean, you also have Jean Dujardin playing, you know, Picard. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Jean Dujardin, for French people, I mean, is really much associated with comedy. Uh, yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, I feel that the first scene didn't really set a dramatic tone. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, some things are, are kind of funny yeah, to me. Exactly, like, yeah, exactly, uh, yeah. Yeah, the way that the soldiers act, like there's a scene where um, Picard... Uh, comes into like uh, a higher ranking officer and uh, there's a there's a soldier there that is with him and uh, he's just like oh can you excuse us and he does like this really funny sort of like turn i mean i know that soldiers everything about the military sort of, is like, hilarious i'm sorry <laughs> yeah yeah but it, it just like it's just the way that he does it it's it's almost like i don't know like if it was a comedy or something yeah but i do think yeah, i mean yeah. i do think that um 
that it's very frequent for Polanski to introduce humor in his movie. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. he yeah. also did Vampire's yeah. Ball, like, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah there's always like a hint of hilarity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's also that commercial that you really like, Helen, remember? The one with... Oh, um... the Prada commercial. Oh my God, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Polanski yeah, directed yeah. it. It's like, oh, yeah? I think it's called A Therapy and it's um, got Helen O'Bonham Carter and I think it's Ben Kingsley in it. And it's just a woman, a wealthy woman who goes to psychoanalysis who's wearing like a fur coat. And she goes in, you know, she, she throws off her coat onto the back of the like um, chaise longue, what do you call it, the couch. Mm -hmm. And she lies down so, sort of like you know, um, talking about her problems and Ben Kingsley, the therapist, just completely ignores him, becomes completely fascinated with the coat and then just like puts on the coat and sort of like flails around the coat. Anyway, it's very good. <laughs> Anything by Polanski is very good. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, Victoria, do you think that there's a there's a, a big difference in like in American culture and uh, uh, European culture in this distance that uh, between the artist and the art? Um, do you think that it's it's such, it's as prevalent that artists need to be held to a sort of like responsible standard? Um, in the U.S., it's like it seems like it's a necessity, but maybe in, in Europe, it's not so much. So there is a very big tradition in France of artists being very politicized. Um, mm -hmm. But... It wasn't so much, I mean, the whole, you know, responsibility thing wasn't so prevalent in the previous years. I feel it has grown a lot over the past two years, I would say. Um, I've had a lot of discussions whenever I went on um, conferences in France uh, where people, yeah, I mean, a lot of people that I talked to mentioned that, for instance, now they wouldn't teach Céline anymore or, you know, like that there is this, um, yeah, I mean, the whole being careful about, you know, what you watch, uh, the responsibility of the, of the author or the director, etc. Like, I think it has m very much grown and very much cut back on the US. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that there is, there is like a, there is virtue in art being sort of um, detoxified or whatever? Um, I just think that, like for example, another another big uh, French guy, uh, Michel Welbeck. I mm -hmm. mean, he's pretty controversial uh, with his novels because there's you know, and they've accused him of like Islamophobia mm -hmm. and uh, and misogyny and all these things. But he's like he sells a lot especially in France, um, his books. Do you think that maybe there's a bit more tolerance in Europe when it comes to those things? I mean, I felt that there is something that's going on that's quite interesting. Uh, you know, when I mentioned that um, Jacques was, um, was one of the, I mean, one of the greatest success in French cinema this year uh, in terms of mm -hmm. um, audience. Uh, but... So there is this kind of dissociation between what people say about the work and what people actually watch or read, um, yeah. which I think is very interesting because I don't know if it's so much the case in the US. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is still very much present, like this dissociation um, is very much present. Yeah. 
So do you mean that the sort yeah, of the uh, antagonism between the fact that Jacques was so controversial and that Polanski is seen as a you know a not so morally virtuous person, and then on the flip side, it being so um, financially uh, successful? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I think the thing is, I think in the US, you know, it's interesting, like Joker obviously was very controversial and it was the first non-studio film um, that made over a billion. And then, you know, there's a there's a sort of go woke, go broke cliche that a lot of these sort of uh, issues based interpretations of hero superhero movies like people actually don't watch it. You know, so there is a sort of disconnect between um, talking points uh, within um, the sort of chattering classes and actually what people think and what people watch. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, there was when, a... When, when did the whole um, sexual abuse case happen? Like, w wasn't that in the 70s? Yeah, it was in the 70s. Do you... Well, okay, so do you guys think that... Not that there's a sort of uh, expiration date on when things should be taken seriously and not, but um, what effect does it have if he would be, you know, sent to jail or, or whatever? I, th I think that maybe he had probation at the mo at the time, um, but at what point is it like, okay, that happened 40 years ago, or are transgressions supposed to be something that, that people just carry with them for the rest of their lives? I mean, I, I mean, felt like, yeah, sorry, Ellen, you go. No, 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 you can for it, Victoria. No, 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 please. <laughs> <laughs> it's always so hard, like, with three people, like, to judge the... Yeah. I'm really bad at judging when to interject. I literally am really bad at it. It is, like, not <laughs> good for podcasting. But I was going to say that there's... I think it's quite interesting, contemporary, uh, like, in the contemporary scene, there's, on the one hand, within sort of the liberal left, this idea of um, being anti-police, being anti-jail, this kind of stuff, but then on the other side, being, like, extremely, extremely, extremely punitive of certain things, mm -hmm. um, I think there's a big uh, disconnect in general there. But anyway. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And I mean, the thing is, I mean, one of the most problematic things with Polanski is that he, he never served his time in jail, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that's why people resent him so much. Because um, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know if he if he had gone to jail like would people still you know go back on the on what happened in the 70s um probably probably um you know i mean pedophilia is something that is <laughs> very very blamable so mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah and i think it's also interesting that in jacques um he kind of gives a nod to this whole thing because there's a part where he's talking to to a higher officer and he 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 gets upset and he's like don't bring any any more uh, uh stuff about dreyfus uh, mm -hmm. and uh picard says like no i'm not bringing any more dreyfus stuff it's like the same thing so it's not i think he's like harkening back to like it's the same issue mm -hmm. um and he wants to be like cleared of the the same issue you know yeah mm-hmm Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a good parallel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So any closing thoughts from anybody uh, about what we were discussing? I'm interested to well, see what the, what the, obviously there's going to be a delay in terms of stuff being released this year, but when this is all over, is there going to be a huge gap 
in film releases like a lag of six months or something because nothing's getting shot right now. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think that also, what was that? Um, Louis C.K.'s movie that he directed and wrote, I think it just like it's completely impossible to find. Really? Uh, but apparently... Oh, yeah? I, didn't, yeah, I yeah, had yeah. no idea. My God. Yeah, there you yeah. go, that's indicative called, of it. Yeah, I think it's called like I Love You Daddy or something like that. Yeah. Maybe it's on his website, but uh, I've seen like clips here and there. I don't know if it just leaked or what. He's married to a French comedian, I think. Oh, yeah? I can't remember what she's called, but I have seen a set of hers. She's very funny. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember her name. But yeah, I think she is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, no, I mean, uh, yeah, I just think that, yeah, maybe there should be a separation from, um, I don't know, sometimes it seems to me like America sort of follows like echoes of things that Europe already went through. Um, and maybe America can learn that from uh, European culture, which is like, yeah, that there's that separation between the artist and the art itself. Because really, the art is for people. It's not It's not even for the glorification of the of the artist. It's just something a lot deeper than that. If you if you get to identify with with the art form, absolutely right. Mm. Yeah, it's about yeah. It's not about it's not about the creator. It's about the viewer more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely right. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking uh, your Saturday afternoon. I believe it's Saturday afternoon where you are. We're in three different countries right now. Yeah. So hard to keep track. But thank you so much for, for coming on. It's been really fun. No, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was great. Mm -hmm. No worries at all. All right. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. Absolutely. And until next time. Um, bye. 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 Bye.